0: Welcome to the Gamer's Tavern. I know our schedule's been a bit funky lately, but it's because of some health issues I've been having. Uh, I'm getting better just in time for Gen Con next week and, you know, whatever Concord I happen to catch there. But while I'm feeling okay, I plan to get a lot of work done for the site so that you don't have to miss out on your Gamer's Tavern fix while Ross and I are at Gen Con. Coming up soon, we've got the second half of our Feminism and Gaming Culture episode, as well as the first episodes of our two new Game Table podcasts. The first is Mutants and Masterminds, run by Cat9, taking place in the world of DC Adventures. The second is our playthrough of the starter set of the new edition of Dungeons & Dragons. On top of that... We should have two more very big announcements coming very, very soon. And it's some of the big things that I've been talking about working on behind the scenes. We're almost ready to start talking about them. So, one other thing. We have gotten a lot of new sponsors for the podcast. Which you can find out about by going to GamersTavern.org slash sponsors. And you can see the full list of all the new sponsors we've picked up. So, without further ado... Grab a drink from the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Drive-Thru RPG is the place to go to purchase digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons & Dragons, Shadowrun, World of Darkness, Savage Worlds, Numenera, Fate, and so many more you long for the feel of actual paper in your hands? Well, they sell physical products, too. Just go to GamersTavern.org and click on the link in the show notes to find your favorite games and support the podcast with every purchase.
1: Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Gamers Tavern podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. Uh, Daryl Mott Jr. is with us. We're just having a little uh, technical difficulties right now, but he'll be joining us in just a few minutes. And tonight we have with us uh, two of my friends who are happen to both be great gamers and great artists, Jeff Preston hey. and Jacob Burgess. Duh. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Hey, glad to be here.
1: So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, gaming art. And the first thing we do, of course, when we bring anybody on our show is we uh, ask them about their gaming character sheet. So this is where you are going to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, where they might know you from, uh, things of that nature. And just do it in the context of a gaming character sheet. Uh, let's start with uh, Mr. Preston. Oh, dang.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Jeff Preston, and uh, my favorite character is like a 30-second level like fighter monk. And- are you an elf? No, it's a halfling.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, 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 don't know. I, just, I don't know. I just pulled that out of my keister. So where would people... Uh, I have done a lot of different work, uh, mostly interiors on a variety of uh, RPGs. Um, so going back to about 2001. Chaosium, a lot of hero stuff, a lot of small print stuff. You've done some work for Catalyst Game Labs. Catalyst. uh, Does that mean you've drawn for Shadowrun? Yep. Shadowrun I've done. haven't done BattleTech. I always wanted to, but I never got around. It's different, uh, art directors, and I just didn't get on that short list.
1: And for people who are familiar with Accursed, uh, you are the cartographer for all things Accursed. Yes,
3: yes. I do a lot of maps. Very cool. Ended up becoming a niche, and I don't know how
1: that happened. So I see here you've worked for Margaret Weiss and Atlas Games and Crafty Games, Cubicle Seven. You, you have a very impressive resume as a game artist, sir.
3: Yep, a lot of lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I think my favorite wa- actually was the Margaret Weiss. We did the Supernatural RPG back in the day. Uh-huh. And, uh, I did uh, graphic design and illustration for the Bestiary book. Basically, um, it was all the critters book. And so like five seasons worth of things that go bump in the night and either doing graphic design, you know, taking existing uh, assets and tinkering with them or uh, illustrating some things that just they had no imagery for. So
1: now as a halfling sorcerer monk, I see you have taken a special feat where you have a 100 percent rate of work completion on time as an artist. That is correct. Correct. That is very impressive, sir. Let me tell you, I have been art director on many projects, and uh, don't do late. I don't. It's always on time. That is incredibly badass, and I just wanted to congratulate you on that. Uh, now, can you also tell us about this section on your character sheet that's called video games?
3: Uh, video games. I did work for EA Bioware. Um, But that was not in an artistic capacity. That was more in a um, design, decision, production uh, level capacity.
1: The cool stuff capacity.
3: Not that art isn't cool. Design decisions on... These are the important things that gamers really like, and you should have these in the game.
1: And we can thank you for...
3: Uh, A number of things, like guild banks and... Having check boxes on whether do you really want to sell off that expensive item? Uh, now this is for Star Wars: The Old Republic. The Old Republic, and then also for support for Dragon Age one, uh, two, Mass Effect one, two, three, all the uh, Warhammer Online at the time when that was still live. Uh,
1: Did you work on the ending to Mass Effect three? No,
3: no, I. W- <laughs> That with a (laughs) 10-foot step. If I ever did. (laughs) (laughs) That all on Casey Hudson.
1: Wow. All right. So, Jeff, uh, your character sheet is pretty stacked and packed with all kinds of experience as a game artist and working in the video game industry. Uh, I think it's fair to say you do know what you're talking about when it comes to game art. Now, if we're looking for your art on the web, we're going to find that where?
3: at uh team-preston.com team preston okay
1: yeah i'm looking at your your portfolio right now it's actually really really cool so fun stuff in there I, it's it's not
3: everything um i mean i've got a deviantart that's kind of a dumping ground kind of <laughs> up in there and then i'll pull out oh these ones are nice and put that on the portfolio
1: and last but certainly not least, uh, in the notes section of your character sheet, I see that you also uh, were playing the role of Saul the Mage in the Shadowrun game table, actual play for the Gamer's Tavern. Okay, so that's where our listeners may know you from. Let's go ahead and talk to Jake Burgess about his character sheet.
2: Okay. I am a uh, multi-class fine artist um, and firefighter because well, that's like a prestige class. Hey, well, yeah, like do like a prestige class that doesn't go together at all. Um, <laughs> nobody really talks about cuz when you graduate with fine art degree, you know, what else are you going to do? Become a
1: firefighter. Of course, that's the the next inevitable step.
2: <laughs> it was fun, now I need to feed myself. Before you ask, I am human. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think of myself <laughs> I would like to think of myself as um alignment chaotic awesome.
1: Okay, I agree with that. Yeah,
2: I think my my wife may not entirely agree, but I know where all those extra skill points went. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I uh yeah, I went to a traditional school, fine art degree. When I got out of that, I got some work doing a lot of graphic design type stuff. I worked at a couple different places like the Pepsi Center, which is our uh Arena for the Avalanche and the Nuggets.
1: Local teams for Colorado.
2: Yes. And I have worked for Dark Horse Comics in the editorial department as the editorial monkey. I've done illustrations for Dungeons and Dragons, a couple of different adventures. I actually helped uh, our friend Bill Keys. Yes. His upcoming products. And then a couple of random things. If you see my stuff, you probably didn't know it was me because usually for that kind of stuff, I don't have my name on it.
1: And, uh, I see also on your character sheet that uh, you are a convention goer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, um, I was one of those uh, guys. I gamed a long time, high school, college, and then uh, there was wives and minions and fell out of it until about three years ago where I went to Genghis Khan in Denver for the first time in forever. I went like a small frightened lamb.
1: It's an awesome convention to go to for your first time. It
2: is. And I was, it was very welcoming and a couple people held my hand and I met uh, a couple of really cool people there. There was this one Watson guy. Sweet. I ran into there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fun. I've been going ever since. Fantastic. And, uh, in addition to all that, you're also, you're, you're not just an artist. You're a firefighter. You're a dad. Uh, you're now running games. Uh, and and stuff like that for your for your home family is that correct?
2: Yeah, I um I've actually started gaming on in town with uh, some friends, and I've been really developing my minions to grow up to be proper nerds with the games they play. Doing it right. Actually, working with a couple of friends, uh, deck op games. To we are producing our own uh, board game, but that's very early. Stages, right? Whoa. Hey,
1: that's, you heard it here first, folks. That's right. And, uh, one, oh, one other thing here I noticed, uh, there's a footnote about Games Workshop and opening the uh, largest Games Workshop game center ever. Is that right? So
2: after the, uh, working at the Pepsi Center, I got an invitation to become a manager and open up the first Games Workshop in Colorado, which some people didn't really understand it unless you're a gamer and have been playing war games a long time. And then, that's just awesome. And yeah, the, uh, Colorado Mills back in the day was the most successful
1: GW store opening in GW history. That's awesome. So we actually are all three of us are kind of, uh, fellow battle brothers having worked on, uh, games workshop stuff. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic. Okay.
0: And as always, I'm the odd one out.
1: <laughs> i'm just glad you're here with us tonight daryl oh i uh, didn't think
0: it was going to happen either <laughs>
1: <laughs> technical okay.
0: difficulties
1: so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we've been playing lately and uh i'm going to start with uh, mr preston again what have you been playing lately sir yeah i've got a uh a, a once
0: in
3: a while skype game that comes on that uh i get to do with some with a bunch of folks actually over in the uk uh the death watch thing um and it was fun. I never get to play uh, a forty K RPG thing. I mean it just it just never gets to happen. So when I do it's like and it, you know what's really fun? Is the GM and most of the other players are British. Sweet. Oh you know, it's all being narrated in British ink. <laughs> it sounds so awesome. It's wow, this is like a professional thing
1: and I just get to play along. It sounds extra epic with the British accent.
3: <laughs> it's a lot of fun and you know, the guys are really good and of course these are all like very serious guys about the lore, and they know what they're doing. So it's not like playing a, a licensed game where people don't really understand the the IP at all. Oh no, we all know what we're talking about and stuff and
1: picking up things that we shouldn't. And it's like, Oh, oh, oh. yeah, we know.
3: <laughs> so, well, that's,
1: that is fantastic. Of course, you know, as the creator of death watch, I'm so proud that you guys are, are, are playing and enjoying the game. Uh, uh, please pass on, you know, from me that uh, I think it's awesome. You guys are are, are enjoying it and uh, having a good time. Okay. Anything else you've been playing lately, or is that pretty much
3: it? Um, that's pretty much it. Um, I have been running up until uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Dragon Age. Oh, sweet. Um, but uh, we've run into some scheduling stuff with the summer, and um, you know. I bet
1: you have a unique perspective of having worked on that. Yeah, it's it's a, uh, and I don't really.
3: I just have absorbed so much of it, so yeah, I know so much about the setting that I can just, oh yeah, I know where all these things are and what's going on at all this time. So, I
1: would, I would love to play Dragon Age with someone like you who really knows every little piece of the lore. I think that would be pretty cool. To support it.
3: It wasn't uh, like the, the writing team. I would love to do it with like, some of the writing guys that knew. Like,
1: oh yeah, no doubt. That would be awesome. Okay, what about you, Jake? What have you been playing lately?
2: I have been playing um, a lot of Hero, which is my first love.
1: Yay!
2: Um, so yeah, I'm in a necessary evil campaign that's been ported over to Hero, which is a lot of fun because sometimes, sometimes you
1: just need to be evil. Oh yeah, I think you told me about your character a while back. Uh, what's his name? Lord Ruin! Yes, that's that's him. Yeah, yeah he speaks in all caps. Gonna
0: have to throw some reverb on that <laughs> in the post. <laughs>
1: We will add a thunderclap and some kind of dramatic lightning. Oh, right, that doesn't happen in the real world. My bad.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am wrapping up. I was running a, uh, a post-apocalyptic hero game and then uh, doing camp with my kids from Third Eye Games uh, with Aloy. And um, Oh, does
1: Aloy live around here?
2: We do a lot of board games. That's our family time.
1: Uh, so the guy who, owned, who runs uh, Third Eye Games is Eloy LaSanta. Does he does he in this area or something? or? No, no,
2: no. It's it's Eloy's game. He actually hooked me up at Genghis Khan. Uh, ah, okay. About how my daughter loves Percy Jackson. And he's like, I did this game called Camp Myth. Check it out. And he showed me a bunch of his stuff and it's...
1: From what I can tell, it basically is Percy Jackson, the RPG. What is it called? Camp, Camp Myth. Camp Myth. Very simple game to
0: play with kids. And we'll have links in the show notes.
1: Alright, Daryl, what have you been playing lately?
0: Jack and shit. Yeah, (laughs) I unfortunately, once again, have not had much of a chance to play games. However, that's changing starting tomorrow. I am running a a basic D&D game that we're going to be recording and podcasting.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah,
0: I'm going to run through the starter set, if I can ever get it here. Sorry, we Got a little late to start recording because Amazon screwed up my order, but I'm going okay. to the game store to pick it up tomorrow, so there's no delays. But, All right. Yeah, I'm, it's going to be my first time in the DM chair in a long time, so I'm getting a little
1: nervous. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine.
0: Hey, my initials are DM. I'm going to be good.
1: <laughs> All right. And as for me, I've been playing uh, the game that Bill Keys is running, the Avenger Second Generation. Uh, which uh, that is happening very soon. And I'm playing in Bill's home game of Tomb of Horrors that he's converted to 4th edition D&D. Uh, so I'm playing that as well. And we have our uh, game table, our ongoing game table, which is the Shadow of the Bat campaign. Um, so I'm still in those three. Now that Sean Fannin is here, actually, in Colorado, he and Corinne arrived just today, um, I expect to be doing even more gaming in the near future. <laughs> Uh, so that's what we've been playing lately. Uh, let's jump into Tavern Tales. So in this section, we're going to ask you guys about a memorable die roll from a game that you may be able to share with us. Jake, you're just grinning like a fool over there, so can you tell us about a memorable die roll from a game that you've played recently? Uh, yeah, I can, and I can, (laughs) because I know my wife
2: will probably not hear this. I was, my wife's a non-gamer. Uh, never has been. Swore she never would be. And uh, I finally, after being married for many, many years, uh, convinced her I was going to run a game, a uh, zombie run game in Savage Worlds. And uh, super fun game. And the idea is everyone is playing as themselves. Right. And because of zombie survival, everyone was given a backup. And so each player was given i i wrote up somebody significant to them a, a sibling a loved one something like that and so for my wife her backup character was me <laughs>
1: <laughs> i see where this is going
2: <laughs> and so she we get through the game they're trying to get out of new york city it's the classic um and everyone actually pretty much mostly survived uh up to this point and they're literally on a helicopter fighting off the hordes of zombies. As the helicopter's lifting up, one of the zombies takes a, like, a final attack and hits the Jake character. And I start rolling damage and uh, dice explode in Savage Worlds. And I just kept rolling six after six after six. And I did like 40 some odd points of damage to me. i I like i played it up like made it this big dramatic scene i'm you know this is (laughs) really trying to impress what's going on and and stacy looks at me and uh she's like she's got gonna spend a benny nope is she gonna like (laughs) you know emotional like nope (laughs) the jake character gets a size nine in the small of the back and gets punted out the back of the the helicopter to the ravening hordes of zombies below, and uh, she's like yep, <laughs> sorry, you gotta go, <laughs>
1: you know, in fairness, she made the right decision went <laughs> 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 <Doing> really good
2: <laughs> the other night with the guys in the never mind, so yeah, that was a uh a highly entertaining <laughs>
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great moment. I will, I will love to have been there for that.
2: Everyone at the entire table was laughing uproariously. She was totally unapologetic. She's like, You are big. You got to go.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so, Mr. Preston, do you have a tale about an interesting die roll that you can give us? Well,
3: ironically, this is one where I was actually running. Um, since I never get to play. Uh, a Dark Heresy 40k RPG. I do on occasion run it, but uh, my luck hasn't been so good finding people that actually know anything about the 40k verse. And so I get people that say, oh, that sounds fun, we'll do that. And so, well, I kind of have to help them out a little bit and kind of explain a lot more. And in this one uh, session, there, basically the big hook was that uh these it was a dark heresy right a game they were investigating uh rumors of some sort of a cult and it was uh built around this basically carnival G- great big uh it was a carnival where they had lots of uh animals and you got the pay to fight them and basically the idea was the people that fought in it basically it was it was an easy way you pay him so many bucks we make you look good so some of the uh, inquisitorial henchmen went in to be fighters they want to go in and fight monsters and look badass well some of the one people that i was playing with are kind of young and well nothing's happened in a few minutes and Let's go fight. Stick, start a fight. Oh shit!
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> These guys—is it like well, this is an investigation, guys? We kind of—it's—it's a, it's a little—it's a different pace than your usual, you know, run in and kick everybody's butt. But oh, but yeah, but you know, they're sixteen and seventeen years old, and uh, I'm bored. I want to go I wanna kill something
0: because they know better than you do.
3: Well, of course. And so, okay. So, he wanted to start a fight. So, he started a fight in this room with people that he said, Hey, I'm not a real tough guy. I, I'm i here just to look good and I paid my money and leave me alone. So, they didn't want to start. So, next thing you know, um, the assassin character goes to town on this great big group of, of hunters and eventually it gets into this big fight. And so she's, you know, she's doing her thing and eventually the other character decides, oh, I better help her out. I'm going to shoot into melee to help her. <laughs> and I'm going, hey, oh, God, oh, God. And, I, and I'll make this very clear. I says, this is a really bad idea because <laughs> if anything goes wrong and you miss, the odds of you hitting your own person are pretty good. Oh, no, no, I want to do it anyways. Okay. So we let him roll, and he botches. It's okay. Just go ahead and you've got Benny, or you've got Faye points. Go ahead and try and get out of it. Oh, no, no blew that too I said okay so you hit your uh, we're gonna roll to see if you hit if you and it's like well you know I it says okay maybe a 30 percent chance that you're gonna hit your own person otherwise you just hit the wall or something like oh that. God <laughs> oh he critically hit it hit, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well maybe and I'm trying to get her to uh, to fate point out of it and no, no, no matter what happened if they wanted to get out of it, it was everything went against them. Every wow. either one extreme or the other to make sure that the girl who started this fight got, got herself smoked. Wow, blasted her and sent her into uh, the wall. And we got the fight ended. She survived, but it was one of those. Yeah, there was no way around it. Shooting into melee, not a good idea.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a that's a good lesson learned.
3: like a bar fight where I wanted to pick a fight, and next I'm pulling pistols
1: and shooting (laughs) them. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's how it works out, Uh, especially, I would even say, especially in Dark Heresy. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into the meat of our topic tonight, which is gaming art. So the question, I think the first question is really important to throw out to you guys, and I don't really care which one of you answers first, but um, one of you, please answer. (laughs) What makes art so important for games? (laughs) Well...
2: In a game, you have like a certain pillars that hold up what the game is. There's certain things you can skimp on and it doesn't matter and certain things you can't. And there's game mechanics and there's the, basically the, uh, the whole, the story behind the game. And then the art is one of those things that holds up what a game is because when you're, it just does so much when you, are showing a new product or new game, whatever it is to an individual. That first picture, if it is done properly, is going to tell them the theme. If it's fear, if it's adrenaline, if it's goofy, if it's how, how the is approached, serious, not serious, it will inform people of many times the target uh, audience. So age range, You know, if it's a My Little Pony game or if it's a Dark Heresy game, you can tell straight from looking at the cover. And it's it sells what the game is. If you hand me a manuscript that details a game perfectly, it could be the perfect game, and it has no pictures in it, I don't care. Because I'm not going to read it and, and pick up immediately. That's what the art does sells what the game is
0: so a picture's worth a thousand words yeah
2: well it's kind of like that whole you
3: know the you go to buy a book and you judge a book by the cover i mean realistically your eyes are the first thing that catch it you see something on the shelf and go "Ooh, that looks cool and then you open it up and then you start reading it um even if you've heard stuff about it, if it looks really crappy they're going to say oh poor production values uh didn't put much effort into this you know uh, maybe maybe they half-assed it and you start you start second guessing your your you know whether you're going to purchase it or not if it looks good uh i mean realistically these are all games about imagination and stuff and these things this is this is what gets you hooked you know these little things whet your appetite for you know adventure and all these things so. Yeah, like
1: uh, like Errol Otis or Dave Trampier for the original Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Uh, Larry Elmore, of course.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, pick up the new Monster Manual and the new books for Dungeons and Dragons because I know the art is going to be freaking amazing. Me never playing my entire life, and I'm okay with that because I've got several games like that.
0: <laughs> That's something I was kind of curious about. Uh, have you guys looked at some of the art? Do you like the new direction that Wizards of the Coast is going with for the fifth edition? Um, I've
2: played. I haven't seen it. I,
0: I mean, haven't the, seen it's specifically the, the art.
2: I've I've seen um some of the the promotional stuff they've had online. It's beautiful. Um, I've yet to you know really pour over it. You know, book in hand type stuff. But I most certainly will be.
1: So, uh, one thing I was going to point out is like we recently commissioned some artwork for a uh an accursed product. And uh, I remember thinking that, you know, these characters are kind of cool, you know, but there was a couple combinations I wasn't really sure of. And then when the artist turned in the art for the individual characters, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I want to play this character. Because now, you know, it just kind of all came together for me because of the visual of the art.
3: You already knew what it was in advance. You already knew mechanically, oh, it's this, that. I wrote the
1: art description,
3: you know. (laughs) (laughs) And but then you get a picture, and go oh damn, that's cool. Exactly, exactly.
2: So it's an example of that. It's a game that mecha- the mechanics are outdated and has problems. Had problems back then, but damn it, when I saw the cover of Rifts, yeah, that was a game I was going to play.
1: That's uh, Keith Parkinson.
2: It is. Yeah, love that image.
1: Sold me. I've got even the new Ultimate Edition has a really great cover. Sorry, Jeff, what were you saying? Got the book. Never
3: played it. <laughs> you know what it, it made me buy it yeah
1: anything with the keith parkinson cover boy i bought that thing right up yeah larry elmore's like that way for me like the original Shadowrun cover for example
0: and it wasn't until we started doing this podcast and you started bringing it up they even knew that was larry elmore that did that original cover and i i ever since third edition i've been kind of upset that that cover's not there and i know that's dated because it, it, it's very 80s that cover, in terms of the cyberpunk shows and the fashions and the hair, but just the image was so evocative of what the setting was, right there, and just the dark alleys, slotting that plug in there while someone else's, two other people are watching back up with the one person the native Native Indian dress.
3: That's well back then, uh, especially when you look at at that time, Shattered One was new. Nobody even knew what it was, and if you don't have a cover that you know evokes. All the right things, you you know you can't really sell it. I mean, how do you sell that? I mean, you know, Larry Larry O'More nailed it. It's like, dude, yeah. you got trolls and elves, and it's just bam, it fit. Yeah, now,
2: and on. The, Sorry, I was just gonna say, and on the flip side, you've got what what I know for Ross and I are big hero fans, but uh, the latest edition of Hero Games has a silhouette. Of a, of a human, it's
1: in a hex. Whoa, you, whoa, you're talking about... that? That's not the latest edition. That's 5th edition you're talking about. 6th edition actually has some really great color art because they got all that um, stuff from Cryptic. But, yeah.
2: Cover of 5th of edition is... Right. I have no desire to pick it up if I'm just cruising through a
1: bookshelf. The blue and gold book? No, that's 6th. That's 6th? Yeah, blue and gold. He's talking about the black with the green, cover, uh, green stuff on the front.
3: Still, it doesn't tell me...
1: Ooh, I want to play that. It's very plain. No, it is. Uh, that's, that is a common complaint, and I have made a point about this on my blog, it's actually. It's sharp
0: about, graphic design, but it's not good art.
2: Yeah.
1: And that pillar falls down, and people aren't going to get into the game. So we've talked about that art is really important because, number one, uh, it kind of gives you an indication of overall quality and attention to detail paid in the game. Uh we've talked about number two the effectiveness of it being able to communicate the tropes and the themes and the style and the context of the game. Um so what what are some other things that art impacts, especially like the style of the art, on how you view a game? Could you delve into that further? Alright, well like you guys have you've seen the artwork for say Exalted? <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> Have you guys seen the artwork for. Uh, do you remember the old um, black and white Josh Timbrook pieces from the original Old World of Darkness? Uh, particularly Werewolf and uh, Vampire the Masquerade and things of that nature. Oh, those are. T- like- uh, Timothy Bradstreet yeah, that, uh, as well.
0: Yeah, those Old World of Darkness, that wasn't just black and white. That was literally. The only things on that page were black and white. There were no shades of gray in a lot of that work.
1: <laughs> yeah, very stark. Uh, but that's a particular style. It was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about is the style of the artwork impacted how people viewed that game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just um, like the style of the artwork for Exalted impacts the way that people see the game of Exalted.
0: And yes. you, on the flip side of that, you've got Cyberpunk 3rd Edition.
1: Well, actually, let me give another example of, for um, a really classic era. And I'm actually talking about real art, not dolls. Um, <laughs> but do you guys remember Jim Holloway and the really great comedic stuff he did for Paranoia? Oh, yes. I cannot think of Paranoia without thinking of Jim Holloway's artwork. Because it impacted the way I see that game. Like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Or funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, car- well, yeah. ca-
0: cartoony and, like, I'm talking, like, S- New- Sunday newspaper cartoony in a good way.
1: Yeah, a little bit slapsticky. Well,
3: especially with your experience with the, the 40K universe, like the John Blanche and all that. yeah. Ian Livingstone. Very, you know, you, if it's grim dark, yeah, it it's, it tells you what it is. I mean, everything that you come out of a, a dark heresy to Death Watch to Rogue Trader, it tells you what it is. I mean, all the details, it's grim, it's scary, it's kind of, ooh, um, versus an exalted, which is kind of like the anime, ooh, upskirt. Kind of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I don't want to. I don't want to slam Exalted. They do have some great pieces of art. What it is? It's high. Know, it's, it's high energy. Dig it. Yeah.
3: Um, versus an Arrow Otis, which is a uh, kind of a otherworldly era of fantasy. You know, craziness. Um, you see the same thing with um, the the Pathfinder versus the um,
1: the older editions of D anD. D now, there was this guy back in the 80s called Dave Dietrich, and he did a lot of cover art for Battletech back in the day. Oh, I and love me, covers. And for me, nobody nails Battletech like Dave Dietrich. Which one was his? I don't remember which was which. Okay, uh, did you ever see the covers of any of the, the novels back in the 80s? He did all of those, like uh, Warrior and uh, Mercenary Star. He did all the covers for the novels. It's that era of novel cover, too. yeah. Name. But he also did like all the interior art for BattleTech. I think he did he like all the
0: technical readouts too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, he—I don't know if he did the technical readouts. Well, to be honest, th- but the
0: covers. Readouts. I mean,
1: yeah, I think. He, I think. Well, I don't know.
0: I'm not sure. I'll look that up and we'll, correct we'll put some. In the we'll notes. put a
1: show notes in there for Dave Dietrich, but he's he's one of my favorite guys as far as creating a style. Do you? <clears throat> you guys have some favorites of uh, styles of art now? It impacts the game. <laughs> um. Obviously. Forty um, K and
3: Blanche, yeah, I get it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually, I was going with uh, a lot of my uh, beginnings came from Larry Elmore, um, and that dude is amazing. I mean, that's a, a lot of where my art started was by aping that, and then you know, moving on to Sam Wood and
2: Todd Lockwood. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed the uh, classic Cthulhu stuff. Oh yeah, because a lot of those. Pictures, I mean, just really captured the whole something's not quite right. We're not going to show you what it is. We're not going to say it, but, it, you know, there's some, there's something wrong in this picture. And <laughs> oh, Soon it's going to go poorly.
1: And Yeah, absolutely.
3: A little less overt, more kind of something. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Now, the art we've been talking about is like pretty, you know, pretty standard, like cover and interior pieces. But this is also true for graphic design, wouldn't you say, Jake?
2: Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah. there's graphic design is one of those hidden um, pieces in a game where if it's done well, it will remain hidden and everything will flow. It'll be nice out boxes to illustrate things. And if it's done poorly, you will be, it will become very apparent. It will, the book will be confusing. People won't be able to read through it and it, it just becomes painful. And there's, I mean, how many games did you pick up that you were like, "Oh, I totally want to check this out. I'm going to show all my friends, and you had to find somebody to explain the game to you because I can't find it Read through all that
1: well yeah, it's, it's not just you know it's not just like uh, how it's laid out either well, I mean it is, but there's some there's a game I picked up at Gencon um, that's uh, a friend of mine worked on, and I was kind of curious to see what it was like and I was as I was flipping through it, I noticed that there were entire pages left blank for no apparent reason. <laughs> And I was like, um, yeah, this is not giving me a good feeling about this, you know.
3: A friend of mine that got me started in this industry is a layout guy, first and foremost, uh, Adam Jury. Um, Who's awesome and been on the show before. He, I tell you what, I, I have an appreciation for layout. It's wow, uh, a good layout is worth its money in gold. If you can have an index, which is hard, um, yeah, that's. Absolutely crucial.
1: But it's not just layout either. Like, graphic design goes beyond that. Um, do you guys remember this old game system from FASA back in the day? It was, uh, their Renegade Legion universe.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the, um, um.
1: There was Legionnaire, which was the RPG. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there was Interceptor, which was about fighters. Leviathan, which was about giant spaceships. There was Centurion, which was about gravitanks killing each other. And then there was Prefect, which was a game that would actually let you play as the commander of an entire sector in charge of all of those things. And the thing about the Renegade Legion universe in terms of graphic design was they had this beautiful look. To, it, it's called trade dress, which has to do with the way that the uh, the boxes look, the, the presentation of the title and the font and all of these things. Um, I think that they, you know, that's one of the products that when I look at it on my shelf, I'm like, holy crap, that looks great, you know.
0: If you want to talk about trade dress, there's one book. I was actually going through my shelf right now looking for some. some I can't rattle off artist names like these guys can, unfortunately. But uh, I picked up one book at random off my shelf, and it's the Seat- the original Seattle source book from 1990. And you want to talk about trade dress. One thing, uh, I, I love the classic Shadowrun. It feels like you're reading kind of a annotated Wikipedia article that someone posted up with all the comments and everything that's always been one of my favorite things but thumbing through this book there's no actual art per se the way we think of art what it is is all these fictional companies the fictional restaurants and everyone else yeah they had their advertisements, advertisements
1: like yeah the little and, billboard, and like it's like logos the, and stuff yeah yeah and it's like little
0: ads like it's it's never too late to be victimized Vitamo, the first quenching taste of beef that cannot be beat <laughs> Try you to make Vitmo your <laughs> brands. And it's, and it's all these little ads with their slogans and everything. It's like, it's like a looking through a yellow pages and you see all those little ads everywhere, but they made them all up from scratch and they just draw you into the world.
1: Nerps. It's what's for dinner. Yep. So, uh, what about you guys? Can, can Jeff or Jay, can you name a product that you think did it right as far as graphic design?
2: Again, good graphic design you generally don't see. So. Off the top of my head, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was a
3: game that I didn't really get into playing, but it looked pretty. Was a uh, uh, Cthulhu Tech.
1: Oh yeah, Cthulhu Tech did have a, a pretty pretty interesting graphic design.
3: Interesting, you know the way it looked. It looked very sharp, very clean. Um, you could find stuff, you know whether you know the game was you know to your taste or not is a whole nother ball game. But it looked. Good, you know, very high production value, very clean, very crisp.
1: Okay, awesome. So now, you guys, you know, being artists and um, having done work, you know, in the industry, can you tell us about the process of creating art for a game? Like, t- you know, take us, take us, the listeners, you know, through that journey. Where does it start?
3: Going with the assumption that we get the uh, get the gig. <laughs> you know, instead of having to spend, you know, 80% of your workday trying to get that gig. Okay, let's say that uh, I uh, talk to the art director and says, hey, I need you to do five images at this size, at this resolution. I'm going to pay you this much. And you say, great, cool. And then you send over the specs and the contract. And, you know, the contract's a big deal. Always work with one.
1: I'm in favor of that.
3: Uh, yeah. You know, as as much as these guys can be your buddies and your friends and stuff, it's for both of you, you know. But uh, you get the contract, you sign it, you send it back, that gives you your deadlines you know, all the terms and stuff as far as what they want to see. They want to see it, a picture exactly this size or, you know, a quarter page or, you know, three inches by seven inches or whatever it's going to be. And then all the details of, you know, what they want to see in the picture. And if it makes sense and all that kind of stuff, you send it all back and it's everything's good um usually there's some going back and forth on getting clarifications on the art spec the trick there is that the art director has a picture in his head that he translates into words that he sends across the internet gives you words and then you have to put that picture back into your head then put it through your arm um and that takes a little bit of doing and so um any times you can get uh you know, references and ideas and, oh, I want it to look like this. And um, sometimes you have art directors who are very detailed and have very specific things they want to see. Sometimes uh, it's more loosey goosey. Um, It varies, honestly. Uh, Honestly,
2: like when they're more loose can sometimes even be worse because you're like, well, I, you know, give me some work with. All depends.
1: Yeah, that's a question. Like, as an artist, do you prefer, you know, would you prefer someone to give you an extremely detailed, every piece needs to look like this? Or do you you prefer more of the style where they say, you know, here's a few things that I want in this piece, but the rest is up to you?
3: Generally, I prefer them to be loosey goosey because I tend to work in uh, stages. Um, I I work in a few predefined steps. Um, uh, first thing I'll do is I'll work up thumbnail sketches to figure out the blocking. Um, the gosh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Composition. The composition. There you go. Thank you, sir. The basically composition is where are the things going to be in there? I'm going to have four dudes. This dude's big over here. This dude's small over here. Is this kind of where we want everybody placed? Cool. Um, we get that approved. That's all. It's a very loose sketch. Very, very, very loose um send that off to the art director is this cool are we good to move forward yes move forward then i'll pencil everything in um start getting the details you know of what everything you you want if you want things changed i need to know what you know when i send this stuff in though it's the, is the big thing is that once we've moved forward we can't really go back um we can't change the the layout of the whole picture once i'm at an ink and photoshop
1: stage i kind of need to know at the thumbnail stage. Have you learned that through bitter experience? Uh, okay. There's a
0: website I would like to recommend anyone who is wanting to get into this field. It's called Clients From Hell. <laughs> and it's nothing but graphic design freelancers posting the conversations they've had. And that laugh and clap, I think I think both of them are fans of this site.
3: Yeah. Doug done it. So what you'll do is I'll get all the details and stuff that you want to see in your picture You know, you want the guy taller, you want him to have mustache, you want him to have the bandolier over the shoulder with two guns out, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And you get all that into the early stages. And does that look good? I'll send it back to you. Is everything where you want it to be? No, I want this to be on the other side. Cool. We can make changes at that stage. But then once we get it approved, we move forward, we start inking things down, we start painting over it. We can pick out some details and stuff. We can do some small changes, but if you decide at some point that, well, this isn't quite right and this isn't going to do it and I want to do something different, that's a different picture. We agreed on this. We've moved forward. That's kind of where we are. But yeah, usually it's very easy. And if someone's pretty loose on it, we've nailed everything down by the time we've gotten towards the end stages. And most of the time, the art directors have been really happy to be a part of the collaborative project. You know, I, I, I try to overproduce and, you know, and all that. So, I mean, usually people
1: are pretty happy about it. What about you, Jake? How, how do you feel about the process of creating art for a game?
2: I'm, uh, I actually prefer people I'm working with to be in the middle. Um, I mean, it is what it is. You work with who you work with and you make it work. Um, I may have had some experiences where they're like, oh, yeah, do this, do whatever, and I come back with, like, you know, all my roughs and things. Like, oh, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that, and then I'll, you know, refine it, and, like, halfway through the refining, they're like, um, no, you know, maybe what I really meant was instead of being, (laughs) you know, tall with a trench coat is really a halfling with a tiara, whatever. He's like, where did this come from? Um, What do you do on those? (laughs) Nobody likes... In tiaras, I'm just saying. But
0: says who? Oh,
2: okay, almost nobody. <laughs> but uh,
0: just the really, image.
2: as an artist, you have to remember: like you may get these awesome, amazing, grand ideas and things you're putting together, but it's not your piece that you're drawing. Nope, product for somebody else, and ultimately, you have to satisfy the customer.
1: So, now, you know, something that's interesting to me, you know, from this standpoint of creating art for a game, um, I have been an art director on a number of projects, and I, you know, I, I like to follow certain rules. Like, whenever I do a art description, I always try to leave, I, I try to be very specific about, like, specific details that I want, you know, to be, to be done right, uh, the way that I need it to be done. But I always try to leave some creativity in there. Like, I'll say, um, in the art description, I'll say, well, his pose and his expression are up to you. You know, or something like that. I, I, try to leave some, some, uh, some creativity for the artisan no matter what. Um, but the other thing, and this is probably the biggest rule that I have as an art director, is I has a, I have a upper limit of three revisions. No more than three revisions. Because I feel like if we're, if we're at the third revision and we're just not, you know, we're, it, it's not coming together, then we need to, you know, the, the, it's just not going to work.
3: <laughs> not for plan B.
1: Yeah, because clearly, you know, something is broken down by the time, if we get to that third revision.
3: Yeah,
2: it's a good, good rule.
3: Yeah, that's one of the big reasons for working in stages is that I can kind of cut out a lot of that revision work by kind of spacing it out. I've, I've kind of gotten ahead of it and making sure they got what they want before because I got in trouble you know, early on by getting too far into projects and then finding out oh but I wanted this and going, ah, and I can't say anything because I didn't get approval first right. and I was like alright fine because um, I mean I don't know a lot of the stuff that I do realistically this isn't for me this is what they want this is to their spec and they're paying for it so I do what they want but at some point you have to kind of I don't know there's, there's a weird line in there somewhere where revisions get kind of crazy
1: yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's about, it's about the scope of the revisions. Like, if I'm asking you to make her hand look tighter on the, the lantern, that's a pretty small revision. But if I'm asking you, okay, listen, you got the wrong character in the foreground, uh, you need to change that out with the lizard man, you know, that's a pretty big deal. That's almost a whole new picture. Yeah, it's one of those you guys should have figured out, like, pretty early on. Right. You know, where you wanted stuff. Well, there's a guy I work with on Accursed. His name is Alberto Bontempi. He's one of my favorite guys to work with. And one of the reasons why I love Alberto is when I send him an art description, the very next thing he sends me is a very, very, very rough thumbnail that is the composition of the picture. And he does like three or four of them and says, you know, which one of these do we want? Right? So I can see, so I can see if the lizard man is in the foreground. You know, I don't see any details. I don't see, you know, it's, it's not a, a publishable piece by any means, but he's given me an idea of like, this is where these are the directions I see this, you know, piece of art going. Which one should I focus on?
2: And a big thing that makes a difference is now that we're in the digital age, making revisions is very different than, you know, when I first got my start in comics, it was mail out a description, FedEx pencils back. Oh, wait, that didn't work. FedEx pencils to the artist again. You know, now that we have digital work, revisions, depending on what they are, can be a lot simpler True. Uh, Definitely.
1: And there's guys in this industry who can turn around revisions so fast and make your head spin.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. So, okay, we've talked about, you know, the different styles of art, and we've talked about creating art. Uh, Let me ask you guys a question. Uh, So, in a a game product, when we're talking about the overall quality of the art, do you feel that it's more important to have consistency or individual pieces that are extremely high quality?
3: I'm kind of a big fan of when I'm doing the art direction thing I kind of like all the pieces to have a certain consistency you know uh, uh, consistency a consistency of styles what we're talking consistency about of style consistency of quality
1: if you had to choose between those two which would you go with
3: oh jeez <laughs> director I have control of that I'm going I'm only picking guys that I know that can hit a certain mark
0: well the first right. thing that pops to my mind about that it would be the old First and second edition Shadowrun books where you had art that was all really good art, but it was completely different styles across the board in a lot of cases. There wasn't a central theme or style or feel to the artwork. Like that.
1: Yeah, Hero, Hero Heroes actually, up up until sixth edition, I would say Hero was a, okay, let me be, let me, let me back up a step. Fifth edition specifically had a big (laughs) problem with this, uh, with a lot of different styles. And it was just kind of uh, it it would it would kind of knock you out of the game a little bit where you'd be reading along and you'd be like, "Wow, this pic- picture doesn't look like it belongs here at all."
2: Right. Well, they also had a big issue with grave robbing where they would pull stump from second and back true true
1: you know hold up any. But yeah, but I just, we're not here to slam hero, but just, uh, specifically talking about like that's like, what is in your opinion, the better route to go?
0: I really don't think anyone listening to this podcast as a regular listener is ever going to think you're slamming hero system Ross. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> Agreed. That's a tough one because I have seen some games where the art is inconsistent, but it was not an issue because the game itself didn't rely upon that kind of consistency, mm-hmm. um, so you, it's it's more an issue in my mind of what can you get away with,
3: right? Yeah, because you okay. can get to a certain benchmark. I mean, you're trying to get it up above this level. Has to be at least that good, and hopefully within this kind of window of consistency.
1: Well, if the listeners want to feedback, you know, give us some feedback. Maybe talk about some products that they think have a particular. Uh, you know, consistent feel or not, or maybe some art that had some real high quality or not. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to let us know or give us a review on iTunes or, uh, you know, just email us at, uh, info at gamerstavern.org
0: great now i have to com- create that email address
1: no is that wrong? is that the wrong email address what is the email address? <laughs> I, I, have,
0: I haven't created a central theme everyone's just okay. been emailing abstruse at gamers tavern okay so
1: email abstruse i'll
0: create info gamers tavern because that takes like All right. five minutes See,
1: look, look i just made a thing happen there look we go awesome <laughs> just <laughs> happened that just happened You guys, you know, we've talked a little bit about, like, consistency, and we've talked about styles, and we've talked about creating. What about the things that just don't work in art? Do you guys have some pet peeves about game art that you could probably share with us? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jake looks like he's dying to tell us. (laughs) Well, it's –
2: so if you are doing art, it is extremely important to learn the basics – <laughs> Total snooty, fine art, blah, blah, blah. What? He's an art school guy. Rob Liefeld. Yeah, up
0: Rob Liefeld. Sorry, uh, I had something caught in my throat Ow. that didn't have feet to droop looked good.
1: That's cold. No, we're, we're here to talk about artists, Daryl. <laughs> 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 the thing that
2: kills me is. Some people will learn how to make very pretty pictures and they don't get proper learning about what it is underneath, be it like basic body design or line weight or whatever. When you don't understand the basics, you may get away with a picture or two, but it's going to become apparent. It's going to show. And that just grates upon my soul.
1: What are some examples of the basics that are that are wrong that you don't like? Um perspective proportions
2: perspective is a huge one um understanding foreshortening understanding how like the human body works and things like that and there's times you can break those rules times you can't um and it's just when it's wrong a lot
1: of people doesn't bother them me Drives me insane. Have there been have there been games? Now you don't have to name them, but have there been games you have not purchased because of some of these peeves that have come up in the artwork? Oh
2: well, yeah. Well, I mean, if I look through on the shelf and it's got these very basic, you know, their issues or whatever in the art itself, I will not. You know, if it's something new, I'm like, well, this is obviously low production, low quality. Like, you know, they hired their four year old with
1: motor control skill problems to. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Do you have some pet peeves you can share uh would you say would you say you agree first of all would you agree with you know that the 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 basics are a big deal
3: see I see I have no art school background whatsoever, and a lot of what I've done is by trial and error, and I still do some things wrong i mean uh you know I am there's a lot of people who get really bent out of shape.
1: <laughs> Jake is waving his arm right now.
3: <laughs> uh, about uh, using uh, photo reference. Yeah, oh, I can't do that. It's tracing. I'm going, says, well, there's a fine line between tracing and utilizing something to understand this is how the body is shaped. This is how it's formed. This is when a hand's coming at you. This is what it looks like. You know, use those things. But you know, some people get a burr up, their butt, and just, oh, I can't use that. I'm going like, no, no, use it, please, please do use it. Um, if you're doing something to make awesome art, there's no such thing as cheating. Exactly. I mean, you look at any professional artist. I mean, well, maybe not any, but you, you take a guy. Look at anything from Larry Elmore to Todd Lockwood. And I can guarantee you, at the core, at most of those things, there is a photograph of a person showing how that body is angled. You know how the that- oh yeah, Elmore used models. Elmore uses models. Hell, I use models.
1: No, I mean like 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 actual people who are models. Oh yeah. Okay.
3: Half of the monsters and creatures and stuff that I do. Guess what? That's me. That's a photo of me behind all that, that I've done crazy stuff
2: to. <laughs> artist that doesn't use a reference model in some form.
3: So, okay. Oh, but there are so many people that are trying to start there. They're oh, no, I can't do that. Stigma. Oh, bad. Oh, do this stupid. Yeah. You know, back in the day, people started out their careers as artists, tracing. That's where they started. Hello. We all did it. You know, I am a glorified, you know, I'm a tracer i'm an inker by by trade
2: i give the line shape and form for anyone seeing chasing amy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm totally a tracer um
0: have you guys heard about the documentary about vermeer that came out recently from pin uh some guy basically came with the idea that vermeer when he did his photorealistic paintings uh had this entire optic system where it was basically he would set a stage and with models on there and it would use like a prism to project down on a page um i think it's called the magic no tim's vermeer because this guy basically recreated vermeer's style he actually went and bought period appropriate uh set dressings and stuff like that and redid it and basically all vermeer did was trace what was happening in real life before photographs
3: That makes total sense. You know, getting all these things together to to do artwork, I mean, I don't think anybody is is the, 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 or maybe there are some guys, it's just not me. Not the super artist that can whip all this out of my imagination and, and fake it. I mean, there's some guys that are really good. I mean, you can get, you know, John Romita Jr. And, you know, guys like that, sure. I mean, I'm just not that guy. You know, I can do scenes and stuff like that and, you know, make things look like people and... Sure, I can do that, but you know, I, I take a look at photographs and stuff. Is oh, that's how it looks when the hand's coming straight at me, and that's foreshort, you know, foreshortening and stuff like that. I don't just okay. I, I use photographs.
0: I had one thing that really, really, really bugs me about art okay. uh, in games, and that is just laziness, where you get the people who will basically either there's two styles I've seen that are just completely and utterly lazy kitty sorry <laughs>
3: <laughs> sorry there's, yeah.
0: a, there's a cat in the background of uh, Jeff's cam um, anyway uh, <laughs> one
1: sequitur man <laughs> strikes again
0: short attention span ADHD okay um basically what they'll do is they will take photographs of stuff, but instead of doing what Jeff is talking about, where they actually create art on top of that, and Jesus says a reference, they'll just throw about 20 Photoshop filters on top to make it look like it's hand-drawn when it's obviously a photo. <clears> Tim <throat> <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can, um, yeah. I can
3: Brad Street with the best of them. So. <laughs> get and the,
0: the, that one just, it looks like you're, tr- you're trying to create a bunch of art when you didn't have the money for it when you could have gone with possibly lesser quality but gotten something original and meaningful. And the other one that really bugs me is uh when we kind of we talked about a little bit when we talked about independent press and the covers uh, uh was poser,
1: oh, poser Pro. I hate poser it, art on on the, a game product. The the
0: CG program that creates yeah. characters and you can do some amazing stuff with it um uh, Monty I poser uh, yeah underneath
1: yes underneath the photo that is a a different thing as as the art itself yeah i have
0: have seen that in at least two game systems where they just rendered a picture in poser and plopped that on the
1: cover i'm I'm sorry let me clarify there's no hate on this podcast i am extremely disappointed with people (laughs) who take that approach
0: and there are some people that can bend poser to their will but they are uh geniuses beyond measure in that genre like uh Monty, I can't remember his, his last name, but he's the guy who does the full motion animations for red versus blue and yeah. uh w h r b that though that was done in poser and it's just amazing work, but that's something that's kind of completely different from what th- these covers are doing. They're not putting yeah, in that yeah, extra that effort, different. yeah.
1: I, I i will go ahead and, and mention at least one product that has done this that if you want to go look and see what we're talking about um for the listeners it's uh rift's black market has a good example of exactly what we're discussing right now the poser uh, art on the front
0: yeah, this is the twenty first century edition of what they did with third edition cyberpunk where they just took Barbie dolls from the uh from the hobby shop and dressed up in cyberpunky stuff
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, you hit a pet peeve of mine, and that's the poser art. So there we go. Yeah, I mean, sometimes poser is a great tool. If if
3: I can't get like a model or something like that, and I need to get some weird angles or something like that, and I need to – usually I'll use it if I have to composite together a whole bunch of people in like a group and stuff like that. Because sometimes just trying to mock all that up is is wow.
1: Yeah, I'm not knocking it as the tool. I'm knocking it as the end result. I yeah. was saying, especially for a cover –
2: Right. That's like putting flour on
1: the table and telling people dinner
2: serve <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. If I guess it's a good time to interject this, if people really want to see the process done for a lot of artwork, you can go online and look up speed paintings and
1: yeah, there's Twitch, you know?
2: Yeah. And watch people, you know, start to finish and see how they use references, see how they do whatever, make the painting itself.
1: I think uh, the guys who do Penny Arcade and uh, PvP used to do some. Uh, oh, and the guys who do. Um,
0: something Positive. Uh, Least
1: I Could Do. Also have a live. Ranzo you Mil- can watch them do it.
0: Ransom Milholland occasionally does it for uh, Something Positive. There, there are a right. lot of webcomic artists. Um, oh, God, I can't remember his name. It's the guy who works with uh, Scott Kurtz from PvP a lot. Um, that's a kind of a sci fi thing. He does them all the time. But okay. yeah, if you. If you, if you follow- is a really good one yeah if you follow these guys on Twitter or on Facebook, they'll usually post up hey I'm live watching me live draw the next week's comic in ten
1: minutes so here's here's the question let's say I'm an art director, which I am, and I'm looking for art for my game. Where am I gonna find the right artists? where am I gonna find art to put into my game what, what what's the best way for me to to locate that stuff
3: that you don't already have a list of
1: a short yeah, let's let's say I'm an aspire I'm an aspiring game designer. I haven't done a product yet.
3: Ask other art directors um who they used, who was dependable, uh who did a good job within a reasonable amount of time. Word of mouth. You know? Yeah. Word of mouth is huge.
1: Now also uh I would recommend of course going to DeviantArt and looking around, maybe see if somebody who fits the style of the game you're looking for. Yeah.
2: So the problem, so when I was at Dark Horse, one of the things I did was go through submissions. Oh, yeah. This was back in the day when people would just mail in, you know, art, three consecutive pages, what have you. And Jamie uh, Rich was the editor I was working with at the time. We'd sit down and just go through these piles. You know, every month we'd go through it. And uh, 99% of the stuff that came in was just sheer and utter crap. Of the 1% that made it, that would you know, get passed around and literally 1% of those would actually get picked and given a chance. And one of the big problems with that is, so you've seen the guy's art, you've talked to him. Can you do this monthly? Can you keep up a schedule? Oh yeah, sure I can. Absolutely. Can you do this? Can you, I mean, but you don't know, you're taking a very big gamble on a product that you're going to put a lot of money in printing. Um, especially if you've got a hard deadline, you've got to keep up. It's it's a rough way to go.
1: So if you were looking for art for a product, Jake, where would, where would you go to find artists?
2: I, you know what I would, if I didn't know anybody in the industry, um, I would look at the art that I'm going for, what products I really liked and see if I can track down those artists because (laughs) hire them away from my competitor. (laughs) Uh, yes, pretty much. (laughs) Um, but really pick up the phone and call. I talk to people all the time. Um, I, Kevin, um, now I'm going to screw up his last name. Kevin Sembieta.
1: Yeah. Sembieta. Yeah.
2: Um, he, he called when I was at the desk and he was like, Hey, I'm looking for artists. Oh, okay. You know, people would, you know, like, well, I'll put some stuff together and get some names around. Um, see who wants to answer your call, but talk, you talk within the industry.
1: Conventions are a really good place to do this. Um, actually, a lot of games uh, companies actually have a a submission uh, webpage or email address you can use. Uh,
3: um, when I do uh, art directing stuff. Um, having submissions rules and stuff like that is usually the first test. Yes. <laughs> if you cannot follow these basic instructions, yeah. you obviously cannot work for me.
0: The um, weird formatting of screenplays was the same sort of screening test that the film industry used for a long time for writers. If you couldn't follow the basic specs of writing a film script in the right format, you get to the circular filing bin.
3: Yep. I send in lots and lots of submissions. And every time I do, it is like the holy grail of instructions. I will do it exactly to the letter every single time because it's a test. I mean, that is your first test. Can you follow basic instructions (laughs) or are you just a meathead with a pencil?
2: The things you have to pile through for uh, submission. Gosh, yeah. You know, what's one out of a bajillion? Yeah, right. Uh,
0: one thing I would suggest, technologically speaking, for people who you see this awesome image that's gotten reblogged on Reddit and Tumblr a dozen times, you can't find who the who the real artist is. If you have the Chrome web browser or if you just go to Google itself, it has a tool. If you right click in Chrome, it'll have reverse image search or you can put the file on your website and then put that file into that file name into Google. And it will search the web for that image. And it will give you your best its best guess as to what that image is. Uh, because it looks at the palette and everything and the file size and everything else. And it looks at a lot of different factors. And you can track down the original artist that way in a lot of cases.
3: <laughs> you can also see who is copying whom.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, let's say I'm an aspiring game designer. Let's say I found some artists can you guys give me an idea of what a artist or what a game designer actually should expect to pay for game art? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's throwing their hands up and backing away.
2: (laughs) So I actually, uh, and this pertains more to graphic design and, um, the marketplace itself. Um, but I actually have a book that's pricing and, uh, ethical guidelines. Um, it's a, it's a generic price guide for graphic design, artwork, and various things in the design market. So I've used these for, um, you know, working with various clients doing posters or, or whatever. The game industry is a completely different animal and it has its own price scale, um, which gaming art is awesome. And the more awesome the job is, the less likely it's. Probably going to pay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a... That's
3: a... <sighs> um, There's a lot of times, and this is kind of... This actually will probably get me in trouble, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm over 40, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to remember to use that. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like the minor leagues, kind of like the AAA ball. You get a lot of people who can make a game who are talented amateurs... And hobbyists that will, okay, I'm a game designer. I'm going to make a game and I'm going to put artists together and I'm going to do this that have maybe done it once before. And so, and they go with what works for them and their budgets are, you know, their budgets are what their budgets are. Um, But that does not the same as being able to price for in any other industry because, I mean, God, anybody can, these days, anybody can make an RPG. So, Kickstarter it has and has PDFs. An
0: RPG. <laughs> no offense right. to people who go that route.
1: So, well, it looks like the answer to the question is it depends. Yeah, obviously, I think you know if you do work for a bigger company like Paizo, they're going to pay you better for uh, than like a small indie company. Uh, but even then, I imagine that the numbers are going to vary quite a bit. I mean, I've, I, I can, I, I know for a fact what the pay scale on art is at Catalyst Game Labs. I know for a fact what the game, the art scale was at Fantasy Flight a few years ago. Um, so, you know, I have kind of an idea, but even the, even between those two companies, there's an awful lot of variation in, in what they can afford to pay. So. And
0: the reason I put this question in the show notes is because it's something that everyone's really, really secretive about. That's the about. big question. And that's the one it's, everyone
3: wants to know. And that's the one everyone always is kind of hush, hush about.
2: Well, it's like giving away your pace though, you know.
0: Yeah, it it's something everyone wants to know so I thought ballparky kind of figures might work but at the same time I also understand the nature of the industry you can't really hey, this is what I got paid here. Oh, he's too expensive or too cheap for me so he must be amazing quality so I can't get him or too low quality so because he's charging that little why should I pay him.
1: Here's something I think I can say with authority. Uh color art Pays more than black and white. Yep. Yes. And the larger the piece, the more money it is. So, there's like, go ahead, Jeff. Usually,
3: the way my stuff is broken down is by size of the image, um, grayscale or color, and complexity of the image. Uh, a simple image of a dude in a basic background is going to be so much cheaper than a full scene of multiple people doing complicated things because they're just they're just not the same picture at all. And then most internal work, realistically, usually runs in a quarter page to half page, um, and you're not going to make a lot on those. Um, you're going to you get tons and tons of work, not worth a lot.
1: Well, there's also there's also card art, right?
3: Like, I don't know anything about.
1: Okay, but but that's happening more and more in the industry. Like there's games with cards, or even you know just if if you were doing like a, a lot of artists uh, got their start with Magic the Gathering um, back in the day. Um, and And they're still, still, go ahead. And still do. Yeah. And there's still, uh, card games, there's still CCGs and LCGs and things like that that do use card art. And I, I, if I understand correctly, I think card art is actually pretty, pretty low on the pay scale too. Is it? See, I know nothing about cards.
0: Okay. It's it's all, it's all work for hire these days, so you don't get the residuals you used to back in the, uh, alpha, beta, unlimited, revised Mostly work for hire.
1: Um, there was a guy, okay, and I'm, I'm just going to tell this quick story, but there was a guy that I wanted really, really bad to do art for 40K, and he is just exceptionally skilled and exceptionally talented, and um, he did turn in some really fantastic pieces for us, but then, all of a sudden, he was unavailable, and I, you know, we were like, "Is was this something we said? Are you angry with us? And he's like, no, I just got signed... For a one year, like I will be like under contract to this other company for an entire year, and I will be doing nothing but their artwork for an entire year, and they're basically paying me a salary. And hmm. I was like, oh, so yeah, so there, you know, it, it does happen still in the industry where they have like house artists, um, but it's pretty rare. I mean, it was rare enough that everybody I knew was like, what? Yeah,
2: right. Well, dark horse, you've got you know freelance artists who, I mean, that's what they do. They they will always have a job they're doing at Dark Horse type thing. So, and same thing with Marvel and DC, they've got their favorite, they've got their bullpen that they always go to.
1: And yeah, like if, like Wayne Reynolds might as well be a Pathfinder or a house artist, yeah. you know. Or you could say Alberto, you know, might as well be a, a house artist for Accursed uh, because that's you know he's, he's our always go to guy.
3: Yeah, I like Alberto stuff actually. By the way. Oh, he's very mm-hmm. very
1: talented. Yeah. Freaking awesome. So what would your advice be for someone who is an artist who wants to get into the game industry and do art for them professionally? Don't suck. <laughs> what
2: does that mean? Um, I mean, using the old paradigm, basically, you just have to be in the top 1%. Um, and so go out and spend – you have to be passionate about what you're doing um, or you'll never make it. You get some learning. Um, it doesn't have to be obviously a like a, a you know a four year degree, but you have to. If you have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of giants, why wouldn't you? You know, otherwise you're just scrabbling at the knees. Um, so take the time to learn and be realistic about
1: your skills. So don't suck is like do your research and practice and stuff like that. Yeah, and and you're going. Everyone starts out, you know,
2: horrible. I'm one of those people that believe art is a learned skill. Um, when people are like, Oh, it's a natural thing. Either you can do it or you can't. That's crap. Mm, that's bullshit. I haven't put the time into it. Yeah. Some of us. What's,
0: what's the, you have to put 10,000 hours into something to be considered an expert or something like that? I'm not an or a expert. thousand hours.
2: Or- <laughs> I've been doing this
3: for over a decade. I am far <laughs> from an expert. I am like middling at best. <laughs> at best. I get by on being able to crank out a lot of middling artwork really fast. Hey,
0: I saw your sketches on Facebook you posted today. Those look pretty fucking awesome.
3: These are D&D characters that I'm doing for friends and stuff, man. So,
0: I, and they still yeah, look fucking I, awesome. I still so. want to see one of Rafe if you get a chance, <laughs> uh, by the
3: way. <laughs> oh, I forgot. You know, I completely forgot about that.
0: <laughs> so, so, so would I. There's t-shirts in that.
1: Yeah, we, we, we would like to make a t-shirt of Rafe. So. Uh,
0: there's one piece of advice I might give. that It's something I learned as a writer that... I'm sure these guys will be able to correct me if this is professionalism is kind of important. If you have a deadline, meet it. If you're given instructions, follow them. It, I thought this picture will be better if there was a pony in the background doesn't cut it when you're doing commercial design work. Uh, it may be, it may be end up great on your DeviantArt page or on your Tumblr, but you're, you're being paid for. Drawing what you're doing the art for what you're asked to do. So follow instructions. Exactly.
1: Be professional. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jake, there's a concept called fail well. Not fail well, but fail well. What does that mean exactly?
2: You know, I equate it to uh like when you watch those classic movies when they go, Go out to die well. Um you're gonna go out and you're gonna you're gonna do your best and you're not going to succeed every time. You will, if you are going to be an artist, you have to have a thick skin. You have to accept criticism, You have to screw things up, and you have to learn from that. You have to accept a thousand rejection slips, and you have to dive into it, like, being okay with failing. Because the person who's afraid of failing, and is like, oh, it has to be, you know, this, that, and everything.
3: You can't be a dilettante, and oh, you can't be fancy about it. Can't be-
2: <laughs> Get dirty. Go out there and screw things up, because that's how you're going to learn. It's like any 40k player, any game player at all can tell you. You learn more from losing than you do from winning. So go out there, screw things up, fail, learn from it,
1: move on, and do better in the future. Would you say you're hunting the fail whale? Uh, mm.
0: <laughs> thank you. Some Dude, Someone else has the same reaction to Ross's puns as i do um but i do want to say this is something that's come across a lot whenever i'm researching writing and how to get in a lot of people there's advice that's given out a lot that new writers absolutely hate and i hated getting it for a long time until i realized what it actually meant and that was they would say well i'm wanting to do this this this, this. i ask a question that was very detailed about the industry and the market and blah blah, blah. And they said don't worry about that just write just write And that's the advice I would be given all the time. Just right. Just right. And it would annoy the hell out of me because I didn't understand what I meant. That meant. And it's basically means you're worrying about the wrong thing right now. Right now, worry about creating. Worry about making the mistakes that you're going to look at this picture a month later. You're going to look at this paragraph you wrote a month later and say, Okay, now I see where I went wrong. Now I know how to fix it for future works.
2: Yes. I had a teacher in uh, college who, a student went up, and this is actually pottery, but it still holds true. She's like, I cannot do handles. How do I do handles? And he said, okay, go back to the lab and do a thousand handles for me, then come back and ask me. (laughs) Well, she came back. She's like, okay, I get it. All right, never mind. (laughs) That's a great story. It's it's true. I mean, Stephen King said it, like, you want to be a writer, sit down and write. I mean, Daryl just said it.
1: Jeff, what about you? Do you have some advice for someone that wants to become an artist in the gaming industry? An artist, um,
3: obviously, you need to be drawing, 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 drawing. But I mean, put yourself out there, see what you can do. You're not going to be able to. I mean, a lot of the stuff, like I've been screwing around lately with D and D characters. You know what? I started with D and D characters. I'll be doing people's D and D characters till the day I die, and that's fine. <laughs> Art directors are going to want to see more than that. And so you talk to them, you, you take your portfolio, you show them your stuff.
1: You need an online portfolio too. You need a DeviantArt account or a some page. Yeah.
3: Um, and, you know, show them what you got. And they'll tell you what they
1: want to see more of,
3: more often than not. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes, yeah, sorry, fuck off. Um <laughs> Hey, it happens. But usually I want to say, well, I want to see more scenes. I want to see more full body shots. I want to see more dynamic poses, less of the static shit. I have been told that a thousand times. I still get told it because I still, you know, I still fall back in the same habits. It comes up when I, when I do work. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I, you know, I, I'm always having to go back to the basics. So, and I guess you'll always be doing that. You gotta stick yourself out there, you gotta fall down, and you gotta keep doing it. And realize that you're gonna be drawing somebody else's stuff, not yours. <laughs> I don't know I've never got to work on a forty K product. I've never got to work on a D and D Wizards of the Coast product. I've never gotten those gigs. You know, I, I never worked in comics. I wanted to, never got to. Um, I just don't know the right things to do and I kinda wandered off in a direction that I kind of fell into a niche, and it's not necessarily a good one, and that happens. So you got to find out when you're in that hole, and you know, find a way to get
2: out of it.
1: Okay, that's good advice.
2: You know, um, if I may, the what we are doing now, art's changing a lot. Um, back back when I was a boy, <laughs> we used to draw on caves, nailed um, <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, <laughs> but. You know, it was all pen and now everything is being done digitally and there's new tools and designs out there to draw on, like the antique tablet, which allows you to draw directly to digital, um, no pen and paper. And along with that, there's also new ways to explore and present your work. So, for example, you know, there's DeviantArt to show you artwork there's also places where you can kickstarter with um, online comics things like that there's so many ways your art out there and so with comic books i know many people who have gone done their own that's how penny arcade started they started with a web comic and then people would throw money at them and then they'd bind it and sell the book at the end and there's a lot of comic book artists who kind of created themselves that way
3: it's kind of like the self-publishing route of of comics and stuff, yeah. versus being a writer. You're for the art side.
0: Uh, Cur- uh, and, Scott uh, Kurtz from PVP did a lot of. He did his own comic. He just threw it up on the web, and now he's doing commissioned art for Wizards of the Coast.
2: Nice. Yeah, and and it, there's Micro so Hull, many too. ways to self-publish and and get yourself out there nowadays. I mean, and that is changing constantly between you know Twitter and. And um Deviantart and all these you know, smack jeeves and things like that. There's Smack Jeeves? What is that? <laughs> smack Jeeves.
1: Oh. Okay. It's That's what the kids, kids are calling it these days. I don't know.
2: You boys out smacking the jeeves again? <laughs> <laughs> okay, grandpa, go check the mail. <laughs>
3: i'll you some submissions.
0: <laughs> i think we're paying like including the podcasting hosting we're paying about 25 dollars a month to host gamers tavern website and as you can tell by looking at it it's a wordpress template that i threw oh, yeah. up there I, I need to actually go in there and fix that and make it look better but get a workplace wordpress template find some cheap hosting for five ten fifteen dollars a month uh, it, you can find it cheaper than that probably you can put it up on wordpress.com for free or Blogspot, or whatever put your art out there
2: but when you do that you can could, you could trade work with people yeah if it's here and gone and never touched again like some of my stuff out there um, guilty <laughs> <laughs> then you know it loses traction but just like podcasting if you can put something up once a week once every other week on a consistent basis people know it's coming Look for it, and that's how you can really gain traction and get a lot of people to know who and where
1: you are. Well, okay, that's going to bring us uh, pretty close to the end of the show, so I'm going to ask you another question before we jump into our final thoughts here. Um, But what are some games, I mean, if you want to pick, say, three to five games that you think have art that really stands out, and it can be art that stands out good, it can be art that stands out bad, but if you want to pick three or five games that have really stand out what would they be? And um, uh, who wants to go first? But Jake, Jake wants to go first. Okay, wow, this is it's so nice and shiny under here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Paizo, it is awesome.
1: I love Wayne Reynolds. Uh, all the stuff he does for for Pathfinders, you know, pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, GW. Yeah, Games Workshop, they have a stable of really fantastic dudes. Paul Dayton, you know, uh, Carl Kopinski, Adrian Smith back in the day. Um, oh, those reads are a little tubby, but,
2: uh. I maintain that the original Rift's core book. Yep. One
1: of my favorite of all time. Well, the interior was, some of that was Kevin Long.
2: We, what we we don't really talk about that so much. <laughs> that cover's good.
1: The the Parkinson cover, yeah, okay. Um and
2: the stuff FFG's putting out, again, they're now one of the big dogs too. It's it's beautiful.
1: Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Michael Filippi does the the covers for Death Watch, and I think he nails it um pretty much every time. Oh yeah. Um uh, Yeah, so there's there's some fantastic artwork uh, out there uh, on those books. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Um Matt Bradbury Sorry, well, i was just saying you I mean you can
2: go through like a a bronze and Noble or whatever those still exist um and you know there' are covers out there that just make you squee right i squee I'll squee again,
1: all right, Jeff, can you think of some uh games that have art that really stands out to you
2: yeah uh, same
3: thing uh as before you know g w uh catalyst with their Shadowrun line uh the battletech stuff all the painted uh the really high quality. Uh, color stuff is just great fantasy flight obviously uh green ronin um uh, running the uh the dragon age stuff the guys that did the artwork on that are really top notch uh, i'm really liking and this is this is so Velveeta, too i shouldn't even go there but uh <laughs> the uh the the accursed stuff is gorgeous
0: woohoo it is that was actually truly gonna
3: be,
1: fair. that was going to be uh, on my totally, list
3: totally velveta <laughs>
1: <laughs> gorgeous stuff. Well thank you sir We appreciate it
2: You know I will say That's one of those books I had to have in the Not just the digital I had to have the book on. I got it printed too
1: Yeah Sweet Well thank you guys We really You know we're, we, we appreciate it And Alberto Who is our lead artist on that He is a very very talented guy So We'll have a link to his DeviantArt in the show notes I think yeah. was yeah, like It's like your
3: icon for Ross On, on Skype yeah. I, mean, yeah I look at that And I go Wow there are some things about that that are technically, I would say, wrong proportionally. But as long as it's consistent, we were talking about this earlier, it says, you know, what, he's consistent all the way across with all of it. And it, it works.
1: Well, that specific piece you're talking about, uh, the, the, the Gollum character in uh, accursed what he's talking about, specifically I asked Alberto in the art description to make his proportions a little out because he's built out of dead bodies. And it makes sense that the parts wouldn't necessarily all fit together. And he, we wanted like a big, imposing character who was also uh, looked scholarly. So his proportions are out of proportion in the large sense. Like he's he's just a little bit too big. He yeah, is, yeah. He yeah, is yeah, like
0: yeah. the. You look at that picture, and the first thing that pops in your head is Dolph Lundgren, the guy with one hundred eighty yeah, IQ. That's who I sent him as the, the reference. Big, huge giant guy that can crush your head with. I sent him
1: Dolph Lundgren as the face
2: reference. That is is awesome. A lot of fun. Don't do it as a subscription, as a uh, brain cramp. When you're sending your art in, oh no, 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 no! Screwed
3: up. <laughs> That's definitely something that you want to do on a project where they want you to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not one of those because if you show that you can't get your proportions right, then they're going to say this guy's weird. It's you know he's been hanging out with that Liefeld guy too much.
1: <laughs> oh, you know, here's another piece of advice I can throw in there too. Like if you're doing an art description and you need something to be bigger or smaller. You know, I always try to give the artist a percentage. Like, I want it 20% bigger, or I want it 50% smaller. You know, I try to give them a, a really good idea of exactly the scale of the the change that I'm asking for. A lot of times
3: with, I, know we're, I don't know if we're kind of backtracking, but... I'm, a little bit. I've talked with art directors, and this is, you know, I've had them, it says, well, draw on it. Draw on the picture. You know, if you want this kind of pulled out... Pull it out. Show me where do you want this. You know, if you need, don't be afraid to Photoshop it. Don't be worry. Don't worry about it. I, I've got the original copies back here. I can adjust. But if if I want to do this to where you want it to be, ultimately, I'm going to do it your way. And if you want this up here, that yeah. I'm going to do it.
1: The guys at Fantasy Flight were big on that too. And I, actually, that's something I need to do better at is is taking the sketch and manipulating it in Photoshop to get you know closer to what I want. That's a very good point. Yay, digital age.
2: Yep.
0: Yep. All right. And my and my list definitely has to start out with accursed 2 and it's not again kissing the ass of my host. <laughs> uh it, it is because the very first thing that the, my, my very first contact with Ross was I got an email. I think I I think John actually sent me the email. Yeah, most likely on, uh, sent me an email to the Kickstarter and I looked at it. And the first thing that popped to me was the art on that Kickstarter page. And I'm like, OK, these guys know what the hell they're doing. This art is fantastic. And I looked through the page and kept reading and it was just amazing. Looked through the book. The the art in the book was consistent across the board. It was th- these the same quality all over the place, in the same general style and look, and it was just beautiful and gorgeous, and told the story of what a curse it is, which we've said many, many times before on here, and, like I said, my favorite quote for it is, it's like someone secretly slipped Ravenloft some PCP. (laughs) And that that's what comes across in the artwork, like, it's Ravenloft, but you're not scared because you're one of the monsters and you can start kicking ass. And Another game that got that art across really well was the old uh, World of Darkness. Even the new World of Darkness does a good job with this, too. It has that specific tone and style where you look at that art and you're drawn into this whole uh, idea of gothic punk.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to say, for me, um, personally, like the top games that stand out art-wise, uh, the original Werewolf the Apocalypse uh, blew me away. There's a scene in the combat section, and they're telling you how combat works. And it's actually... A, almost like a little comic book of these two werewolves fighting on the pages and they're just getting bloody and they're tearing each other apart. And it was not only like perfect for the chapter, but it was also a great illustration of, you know, the savagery of the game. And it, that was a Josh Timbrook piece. And I, I just, I think Josh really just utterly nailed it with uh, the artwork for um, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, White Wolf also did a really great job on the Scarred Lance product. They had a lot of great, uh, they actually got, um, the guy who does Artesia, Mark Smil- uh, Smiley, to come in to do some of the art pieces on that. And it, it, it was very, very impressive. And lastly, I'm going to throw in, um, and you probably, if you know me well, you know I would have to say this. Um, Champions 4th edition <laughs> with the George Perez cover. Uh, one thing I loved about Champions 4th edition is they had a bunch of comic book artists that they did for their covers of their books. They had Dave Dorman, who did the cover of Champions in 3D. They had Adam Hughes, who did the cover of Champions, uh, uh, Kingdom of Champions. Yeah. He's really good. And then, uh, <laughs> then there's George Perez, and George Perez nails it on the cover of the Champions fourth edition book, which shows this freaking fantastic comic book fight scene between the Champions and Dr. Destroyer. And I mean, I don't think there's any, I, I honestly do not believe that if you are a fan of comic books, you can walk by the champion's fourth edition book and not go, wow, that looks pretty damn awesome.
0: I'm a casual comic fan and I know who George Perez is. <laughs> uh, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up that I think is a good trend that started. It's something that originally happened in game art that kind of went away for a while and has come back recently. And that's the art For a while, was really static posed pictures. And this was a big complaint on 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons. I love the art in that, but it's all static poses. A lot of the things that I've seen in the new art for the new edition of D&D, as well as in a lot of the other stuff from Paizo and other companies, is that the art is more action-oriented. It's telling a story. That, to me, is a big improvement it when you look at that art you're seeing what you want to be doing in the game not who you want to be in the game which is a big big difference to
1: me yeah guys standing around is usually a bad cover but guys doing a thing is usually a great cover yes
3: a lot of that i got off of uh like the how to draw comics the marvel way <laughs> yep. look at this static
1: bad dynamic <laughs> good all right, I, so we I need to dive into our, uh, our final thoughts on this topic for the night. Uh, Jeff, what are your final thoughts on game art?
3: In some ways, I like the direction that it's going. I mean, there's some really classy, gorgeous stuff out there, and it's just mind-boggling. It's hard to keep up with. Uh, it, it's it's definitely hard to keep up with some of these guys because I've been able to get by kind of like the middle of the road, and uh, I have to up my game really hard. So you say it's, it's
1: getting better is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: It, for me, is you know, as an illustrator, it, it forces me to, to work harder and, and up my game and do better. Very cool.
1: Jake, do you have any final thoughts on game art? Man, art is. Don't ever
2: underestimate how important art is. Creating what the game or presenting what the game is, feels, um, you know, all those, all those things about the game. And it just keeps getting better and better um, because as people fall in love with it, you know, become passionate about it. Um, and if you want to be an artist, you have to be passionate. Take your time. Go out there. Drop. You, you got to have, honestly, you have to have thick skin, and, and you have to have some stones to get out there and, and get kicked in the teeth repeatedly, and you have to love it enough to keep going through that. And if you're willing to do this kind of stuff for, for pennies and come back for more, then there you go.
3: <laughs> i wish doing this. I mean, you got to do it for the love um and eventually you will you you know if you're going to do this professionally yeah you will eventually make some money but it's not going to be woo hoo rolling in the dough Well
1: I you know, I'm I'm going to throw this out there if you do if you become a cover artist in this industry you can make a living Maybe not a great living Well you got to be you got to be good yeah there's there's a for sure yeah it
2: would be in the 1% of the 1% of the 1%
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I mean it's hard it's hard you know uh, getting the cover gigs. I mean, I've done I've done cover gigs for for uh, the Miller Via guys and doing the the comic based stuff. The That's Hope great. Prep. Yeah,
1: the Hope Repertory is yeah.
3: Um but those are those are hard to get. Those are not my normal gig.
1: And you did a cover for uh, Sarah Cockwell's book.
3: Yeah, ooh, that was not so great. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was it was a learning thing. Okay. you don't hit a home run every time a bat
1: (laughs) very best don't don't worry Jeff it happens to a lot of guys (laughs) one in five (laughs) Yeah,
3: but yeah I mean those gigs are I mean I've been doing this for 13 years and covers are not I mean those are
1: still hard to come by all right Uh, Daryl do you have any final thoughts on uh, gaming art
0: Yeah, I have been mostly fascinated listening to this episode because I have only recently figured out how important art is to a game. And it's one of those things that's always been in the back of my mind. And I think it's been in the back of a lot of our listeners' minds that may not have realized how important it is. And it's really come to the foreshadow for me when I see people not paying enough attention, game designers and publishers not paying enough attention to art
1: an afterthought it can really elevate a project i mean that's these are my final thoughts is that if you have good art it can take a game and take it from being good to great it can take a fair game and turn it into a good game you know art can actually just lift your game up a whole level but by the same token bad art can lift can actually you know take what's a take a good game and make it into something eh, most people may not really you know be that into because I think these guys hit a really great point early on where they were saying, you know, it's a visual communication of the game's tone and the game's theme and the tropes. And if these things are not communicated well or if they're communicated through through art that's going to, you know, turn you off of the project, then, then it's just – it's not worth – you know, it's it's almost not even worth putting on the page if it's bad art. Right. That's all I'm saying. Advertising. It is. It is – for some of us, it's everything.
0: It is literally the first thing you see of a game. You don't see the title, you don't see the genre, you see the cover.
1: Well, we're in a we're in a uh, we're in a particular uh, industry: role playing games. That is all about communication. It's all about the GM being able to tell the players what the world is like, right? Being able to illustrate that in their minds, usually through the power of his voice and the power of his descriptions, the power of his words. But art is such a powerful tool for him to be able to say, the GM goes, well, you see this. And he opens the monster manual and shows you an orc, right? Or shows you a dragon. And that's going to really, you know, it's going to help with that immersion. It's going to make that game better all around.
0: And one thing I have done in my home games before is I will actually hook my computer up to my TV and when it comes to this is what the catacomb looks like, throw an image on the screen. Yeah,
1: yeah I did that a lot with my Shadows Angeles game too, so showing like what the city looked like, things like that. I've done that at con games where
2: pick a picture, pick a character, and you have the images laid out and it you know you can use that to draw people.
1: On uh can you give us a really quick Jeff like what your most recent thing is and where we can find you on the interwebs for our listeners?
3: Um right now I don't have anything that I can show anybody uh other than <laughs> just uh I've got a few things on uh my uh, portfolio site. That's uh the teampreston.com. So Team
1: Dev. Right. And if we want to see more of your work, I think possibly the most latest thing you worked on is uh Guns of Daggarov or Accursed on uh, Meliorvia. Via. Do you have any other projects that are uh, recent out? or? Uh,
3: no, no. Actually, I'm uh, making a return to freelancing after uh, doing the day job. So, Okay. Hard getting back onto
1: the, uh, the short list again. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with that. And if you need a reference, I'd be happy to provide it. And No problem, man. All right. And, Jake, do you have a latest thing and where we can find you on the interwebs?
2: Uh, yeah. So you can find me at flashoverarts.com, um, which – I'm in the middle of hauling over right now, but, um, I'm also on the, uh, the Twitters at Jacob Burgess, uh, at Blackover Arts. And I've got, you know, Deviant page and stuff.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, on behalf of Daryl and myself, I want to say thanks to you guys for showing up on and being on our show. We're very grateful to have you guys. Um, nice- thank you. You're welcome, and we'd love to have you back. The Imperial Guard is kind of sweeping through the tavern right now, and uh, Mac, the barkeep, <laughs> is, uh, is, he's got the signal right now that we need to uh, shut down the tavern. So until next time, uh, may all your hits be crits. Have you been looking for a dark fantasy RPG setting? Are you interested in seeing a new take on the action horror genre? Then you should check out Accursive.com. Accursed is a setting for the Savage Worlds RPG created by me, Ross Watson, and my good friends Jason Marker and John Dunn. It is a world where the heroes are monsters who fight for redemption against the witches who have conquered their land. To find out more about Accursed, search for Accursed on drivethroughrpg.com. Accursed is now on sale there and in many other fine retailers for gaming PDFs. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy Accursed.